And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by Joe Kent. Uh, Joe is an America First Republican running for Congress in Washington State, uh, and, and he's a very interesting candidate. He's, uh, he's running on a solid platform. He wants to end the wars, uh, dismantle the administration state, uh, secure the southern border. He's uh, pro-life, pro-gun. Uh, wants to restore energy independence. Uh, he gets a lot of things that are important to me right. So uh, he has my endorsement. Uh, he's definitely a candidate that I think you guys should consider supporting as well. Um, I think you guys will enjoy Before we get to Joe, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an iTunes user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Joe Kent. All right, guys, we're here with Joe Kent. Joe is a retired Green Beret and an America First Republican running for Congress in Washington's 3rd District. Joe, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, how's the campaign trail treating you? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's going well. It's busy, but uh, we're doing well leading in the polls and just trying to keep the momentum up. Yeah, man, that's great. That's great right. news. And um, so <laughs> we, obviously we have to start here. Um, your military background and your personal life has obviously shaped you into the man you are today and the candidate uh, you are today. And, and for those in the audience who, who don't know anything about you, who is Joe Kent? You know, what's your background uh, and why do you feel you're the right person, not only to represent Washington's third district, but also fight for the rights and freedoms of all Americans in Congress? Yeah, so uh, like you said, I spent a little bit over 20 years in the military as a Green Beret. Came in like right before 9-11 and was actually in the Special Forces course when uh, our country was attacked. And then after that, got out of the course, and that was pretty much um, my career path. I was in combat or training for combat for the rest of my my time in the military. Retired in 2018 um, from the Green Berets or Special Forces and then went right into a job at the CIA as a paramilitary operations officer. Intended to stay there for Pretty much the remainder of my adult life, make that my second career. Um, I, th I felt that uh, serving our country overseas, fighting for our nation was kind of my calling. I still do in, in a way. I just think the fight has come home here in a lot of ways. I was really skeptical on the U.S. national security foreign policy uniparty, for lack of a better term. I had a front row seat to all of our failings in Iraq, the lies behind the global war on terror. I was pretty uh, disenfranchised of both the Republicans and the Democrats, Bush, Obama. I mean, different rhetoric, but the, the, the game remained the same. Military industrial complex uh, benefited while we continued to bleed and got nothing for it. Our jobs got shipped overseas to China. I just saw this real big disconnect from the amount of effort we were putting in overseas to what was happening here back home. And that was until Trump came on the scenes. Look, I, I didn't know anything about Trump when he started running, but when he went after the Republican foreign policy establishment, I was actually sitting in Iraq uh, under Obama, which were dark days. Um, and I was like, man, this guy's actually getting it right. And so I became an early uh, Trump supporter. 
uh, wanted to stay in and continue my service. Um, that was until about three years ago. And my late wife was also in the military, was killed fighting ISIS in Syria. And she was killed a month after Trump tried to get our troops out of Syria the first time. So once we took away all the ground that ISIS controlled, she was part of that final push to do that. She was an Arabic linguist, a signals intelligence operator. Um, once we did that, Trump said, OK, hey, we're going to get our troops out because this is what I ran on. This is what I promised the American people. I promised them I'd get rid of ISIS, but then I promised I'd get them out of these endless wars. And that's when and I had a front row seat for this, too. I saw the whatever you want to call it, the national security establishment, the deep state really turn on President Trump and they committed bureaucratic slow roll. A bunch of them publicly resigned like Jim Mattis. And then the end result was that our troops stayed deployed in Syria. And then a month after Trump tried to get us out, my wife and three other Americans were killed by a suicide bomber. So I decided then I had to resign from the agency. Just come back here to the Pacific Northwest and, and focus on raising my two young sons. They were one and three when uh, my wife, their mother, was killed. And so I just want to get them back here close to my parents. I had a brief opportunity to meet President Trump uh, in person when, I, when my wife's remains were returned to me at Dover. And I figured, hey, I'm just going to tell Trump everything that I've seen from my perspective just to get it off my chest. When am I ever going to get an opportunity to talk to the president again? And I, I told him, I was like, hey, look, you're you don't know who I am, but I've been fighting these wars on the front lines for the last 20 years. You're getting it right. You're being undermined every step of the way. This is like nothing I've ever seen before. I came in the military under Clinton. I served under Bush. I served under Obama, served under you. I've, se I've seen multiple administrations and the way that the apparatus is going after you is like nothing I've ever seen before. And I thought, hey, nothing's going to come of this. I'm just some guy who, who told President Trump something. Like he, he, gets, he gets so much, he's inundated constantly of people telling him things. But about two weeks later, I got reached back out to you by uh, some of his folks on the National Security Council um, and in his inner circle. And they said, hey, the boss really liked what you had to say. Can you come back out here and write us some white papers? And I kind of became a, an unofficial advisor uh, to the Trump administration, was offered a job in a second Trump administration, national security realm. Uh, glad they accepted that. Worked on the Trump 2020 campaign, veterans for Trump, military families for Trump. But at the same time, I'm, I'm back out here in the Pacific Northwest where I grew up in 2020 happens. The lockdowns happen. They're in a very draconian way out here in the Northwest. Yeah. And then really the riots, watching Antifa and BLM. I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Watching Antifa and BLM burn down my hometown and then just the Democrat machine there just being completely okay with it, supporting it every step of the way was like nothing I'd ever seen before in America. But I had seen, I had seen this playbook executed in multiple countries overseas while I was fighting terrorist organizations and things like that. And right. I just thought we were on the cusp of losing our country. And then watching the stolen election, watch all that break down with the mainstream media, big tech, all these different law firms, that whole apparatus just moving lockstep. I was like, man, we're going to lose our country. And I had just I had moved over here to where I am now in the third congressional district because it's one of the only conservative districts on the really on the West Coast that touches the Pacific Ocean. And my congresswoman, who I voted for, who is in theory a Republican, voted to certify the election, put up no fight whatsoever, felt no duty to actually uh, on January 6th to have that that process adjudicated. And then she votes for the impeachment of President Trump. And so I just felt that we were on the cusp of losing the country. So I said, well, I can sit here and I can complain about it on Twitter. Um, or I, I'm going to have to, because for, for me, it, I feel it's a, it's a heavy burden because someday I'm going to have to explain to my two sons that this is the country their mother gave her life for and the state that we're in right now. I just can't do that. So I, I literally had to Google, how do you run for Congress? Um, <laughs> and, and like ever since I did that, just been out, off to the races, man. So we've been at it for about a year now. Wow, man. Wow. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. There's a big difference between um, understanding that that uh, America's had a lot of failed policies over the over the years, and uh, it's a different it's a different situation to be on the business end of those failed policies and to experience it personally. So um, I can't imagine. 
um, what, what that has been like, brother. But um, I'll be honest, I wanted to have you on today. Uh, I, I typically wouldn't talk about, or I, I typically wouldn't care about, quite frankly, a Republican primary in Washington. I'm sitting here in Northwest Ohio personally, but, yeah, right. um, and I know we always, we, you know, on both sides of the aisle, everybody goes to the, you know, this is the most, most important election of our lifetime and all that. And it's hardly ever true, obviously, by just the law of average. Um, but these primaries are important. They're, I think they're much more important than they typically are. Um, after November, we're going to have two more years of Joe Biden in the White House, uh, whether we like it or not, um, uh, or, or, you know, God forbid, Kamala Harris uh, in the White House. And, and look at look at the damage the administration's done in, in a year. I mean, it's been it's only been a year, if you can believe it or not. The out of control spending, inflation, um, the crisis on the southern border, the complete unseriousness on the world stage. Yeah. The administration just watched uh, Trudeau's regime in, in Canada uh, and, and their political persecution. And I think they're salivating about the prospects of bringing that um, here to the United States. And I think there's yeah. a there's a very real scenario, maybe even a likely scenario that Republicans take the House back in November with a slim majority. Um, and then we've seen it. It's a, it's a tale as old as time. Let's say we have a 10-seat majority in the House. Can you trust people like Jamie Herrera Butler, you know, your, your, your opponent, to, to be a reliable right-wing vote? I don't know. I mean, these people, you see it. They, they, they're always tempted to vote with the left. They're, they're going to be tempted to vote with the Biden agenda, you know, because they get brownie points from, from CNN, from the corporate press. Um, and brother, we need reliable right-wing votes in Congress. We need men of principle, men and women of, of principle to stop the Biden agenda. I'm not even talking about 2024 or going forward. We, we have more years of, of the Biden regime. We need people like you who are going to be a reliable vote. How, why can people trust that you're going to do the right thing, uh, even if you're being pressured, even by your own party, um, to do the wrong thing? Why can we trust you and not Jamie Butler? Well, the beauty of primary and incumbent is that nobody is go bending over backwards to do you any favors. So I think usually if you're in my position, um, you're going to win your primary and then the G or the GOP is going to anoint you ahead of time. And they're going to tell you, hey, here's your policy positions. And a lot of that's going to come with donor money and, and you know, major corporate PAC money. If you're primary and incumbent, you are a, a pariah. Uh, the, the Trump um, impeachment vote and the Trump endorsement gives me a little bit more leeway, but I can tell you the establishment, Kevin McCarthy is still supporting Jamie Herrera Butler. So right. I tell my constituents all the time, I'm not taking any corporate PAC money. I'm, I'm nipping on her heels uh, with fundraising based on individual contributions from people that I am accountable to. So the great thing is like, I, I have my, my personal story and I, I hope people believe that, that, Hey, I, I understand what the establishment does. I am. My family story is the, the story of believing in America, but then, but then being betrayed by the establishment. But even if people don't believe that, take a look at what it takes to primary an incumbent. Like I have no, just take a look at my FEC report. I have no corporate interest. So when, when I pull this off and I get rid of Jamie Herrera Butler and I go there in Congress, I'm not going to have any friends. I mean, I'm going to have right. Matt Gates and, and Paul Gosar and you know, MTG and America First Fighters like that. But there's nobody from the, the, the lobby class, the Kevin McCarthy class, the establishment that's saying, hey, welcome, Joe. We're really glad you're here. I mean, they might approach me and say, hey, now we'd like to work with you. But for me, these people actively worked against me while they were saying like sort of America a first just like rhetoric and slogans out of one side of their mouth but they were thinking that the trump base the maga base is dumb enough that we weren't going to catch them but we caught them and my whole goal is to really just drain literally drain the swamp gut the administrative state have accountability impeach joe biden i want to impeach kamala harris too 
um, but not let the Democrat agenda move for, forward one, you know, one more inch. The woman I'm running against, we can go through her record. It's absolutely atrocious. She actually makes Liz Cheney look fairly conservative, believe it or not. So, I mean, the, the days of the, that surrender right now, that's gotten us to the point where we are right now. Like the, the old people that are like, I've been a conservative, you know, since 1970. I'm like, well, that's great. But what has that <laughs> rhetoric, what, what is that ideology? It sounds great on paper, but what has that gotten us? Like we've won more elections than we've lost and it's gotten us to this point right now where it's like we, we have nothing left to conserve like our back is against the wall it's time to start fighting oh absolutely i mean uh it's clear to most of us on the right whether it's you know the the america first republicans like yourself or even libertarians like me um it's clear to most of us on the right i'd say at this point that the william f buckley uh stand athwart history yelling stop <laughs> you know conservatism yeah, has been a complete <laughs> failure um, I've always hated that line to begin with, but it, they, what have they conserved? I mean, the, the left right. continues to infringe on our God-given freedoms at an alarming rate, and it's time to play offense. I mean, playing defense for 50 years has conserved what exactly? Um, so instead mm-hmm. of trying to preserve our freedoms, which is all well and good, I suppose, you know, I, I want to see the GOP fight to expand them. You know, instead of defending yes. gun rights, expand gun rights. You know, swing for the fences on, on abortion, like you've seen in, in Texas and other places. Dismantle the FBI, which has become another way for the left to persecute their political opponents. You know, how about introduce a, a constitutional amendment limiting the Supreme Court to nine justices? Try to crush the left's type dream of packing the court once and for all. There's just a few examples. But, you know, you seem to me like the kind of guy that has the stomach to play offense in, in Washington, D.C. Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually lived in D.C. for a little bit when I was you know, at the agency and I was also in the military and, and I kind of swam in some of those circles a little bit. Um, and, you know, when you when you're in D.C., you can really see that everything comes down to like power, money and influence. And at the end of the day, if you're a go along to get along person and you don't have any original thoughts, you can actually do very well for yourself in Washington, right. D.C. You know, and that's what's actually kind of scary. I mean, people we can talk all day about the the FBI and it's kind of kind of like more scary nefarious things that our government does. But really, when you when you lift up the hood, there's a lot of very mediocre and I would say mediocre to fairly low intelligence people there yeah. that are being manipulated by very serious players who really are just worried about a lot of these corporate special interests. And so, I, I mean, I find that absolutely repulsive and disgusting. I have, yeah. you know, my late wife is in Section 60 at Arlington, and I have too many good friends in Arlington National Cemetery that gave their life because they actually believe in what this country stands for. And I truly still, at my core, believe in what this country stands for. I don't think it's all one big corporate joke, but the corporate donor class, Wall Street, the military industrial complex, they do. And we're yeah. the punchline. And that makes me absolutely sick. And so it's time to just go and gut that. You know, I've been talking about a lot of the white pills that we've been seeing lately. I think, you know, I I, I actually think going back to, you know, we said once once you win, which I do think you will, uh, you're not going to have any friends in Congress. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of the the wrong people, <laughs> you know, distancing themselves from the GOP, which is great. I mean, a lot of the neoconservatives have have returned to the Democratic Party, where they all came from in the 60s and 70s to begin exactly. with. Exactly. And, yeah. and you're seeing, I think, I, I believe, am I wrong about this? But uh, um, I believe Kevin McCarthy endorsed Liz Cheney's opponent. I want to say he did. You know, and I don't yeah, know if that means finally. much. Obviously, Liz Cheney, I'm sure she's polling at four percent or whatever yeah. among Republicans. So that's an easy yeah. it's an easy one. But I, I think you might be surprised. You know, I think a lot of people are uh, yeah. even the people that I you know, I'm, I'm very anti-war. Um, and even the people that there, there's the crazy people, uh, you know, regarding the, the Russia, Ukraine war, the, the Adam Kinzinger's of the world that are like, put up a no fly zone. Let's just go ahead and start World War Three. You know, there's there's a few people like that. But even the the, the hawkish Republicans. Yeah. 
you're not really seeing any serious people saying, oh, let's put boots on the ground in Ukraine. I do think right, like right. There, there is a change happening and it's moving in the right direction. You might have more friends than you think come November, I think. And I think that's because the the base is making their voice heard. I think McCarthy is a very he's a very savvy political creature. And so I think he got caught in this position where he was supporting five of the 10 impeachment voters and right. the base got a hold of that and they're furious. And now there's all this talk, you know, you get everybody from Tucker Carlson to Steve Bannon's war room to every other podcast down, down the road um, saying like, Hey, are you going to vote for Kevin McCarthy to, to uh, congressional <laughs> candidates and putting us on the spot? And, you know, and, and I was one of the first ones that said like, no, I'm not, he's supporting my opponent. This is a complete and total joke, but McCarthy's starting to feel that. And then you even see, you know, Tucker Carlson having elected officials on there and grilling them about January 6th, about the FBI, and then just making an absolute mockery of the neocons. Because, I mean, just a couple months ago, you, you had members of the Senate Armed Services Committee that were talking about, well, hey, all options up to nuclear war are oh on the goodness. table. Yeah. And and the, the great thing about Tucker is that he has this massive audience, and he just absolutely lambasted these people, and rightfully so. And so I think that because of social media, as horrible as it is, the base is having their voice heard a lot more. And, and the big shift that you've seen, I think, a lot of the, the Republican establishment was kind of sticking their finger in the wind after after the, the smoke from 2020 cleared. And they wanted to see if they could just go back to these silly GOP like talking like we're going to fight socialism and maybe give some tax cuts. But then really all they were going to do was advocate for the corporate donor class and more war. But really, in the, and especially election integrity has been a key thing on that. They really wanted to gloss over that. But they got smacked hard by the base. And now you're hearing pretty much very few Republicans can run from they have to say something about election integrity. You know, right. I, I, I'll, I'll say, hey, we're going to have a congressional inquiry. and We're going to lay it all out for the American people. Some people go that aggressive, but it's not something they can hide behind like they wanted to eight months ago. So I, I think you're right. And, and I, But that's going to come from the base staying activated, too. And the small donations like that's absolutely key. When Marjorie Taylor Greene got kicked off of all of her committees, like the first day she was in Congress, like they, she was supposed to just go away and like die in a corner somewhere. But she went on Bannon's war room and was like, hey, I'm being attacked. I'm here to represent the values of my constituents and the American people. And she like like set fundraising records. And that like melted down the matrix at, matrix at the NRCC and the GOP because they're like, wait, you're supposed to go to us for money. What do you mean? You went to the people and they and they gave you $20 donations and you raised more than we ever did. Like this is absolutely scary. So I, I do think that there's uh, there's some hope there and definitely some white bills. Definitely. Uh, and just one more example as, as to why, just not a, a quick policy point as to why I think these primaries are, are, are important this time around is, um, I mean, there is there is going to be fertile ground for some big gains uh, on, a, on a policy level. Um, and we're not going to get into the, the Russia-Ukraine stuff right now. That's the you know, that's a topic for another podcast. The fog of war is, is thick. It's tough to really know what's happening on the ground over there. Obviously, pray for peace. Pray for all the women and children in harm's way over there. Um, and I, I hate speaking in these terms. There's no silver linings when it comes to war, obviously. But one, one thing that one, once this is all said and done, um, like the energy debate is over <laughs> in this country now. It's, it's it's completely over. And it reminds me of summer 2020 when the gun debate officially ended here in the United States. You know, Black Lives Matter, Amen. Antifa, they burned the yep. cities down. Um, they they kill 25 people. They cause two billion in, in uninsured private property damage. And then, you know, everybody between here and Timbuktu went to their local gun shop and, and armed themselves. And you know, the Democrat the Democrats were, were terrified with this data because it was like 45 percent of first time gun buyers were black. You know what I mean? And African Americans are 12 and a half percent of the population. I think like 30 percent of first time gun buyers were Hispanic. And it's you know, so it's like they lost. They can't. Like, you know, the gun debate is is over now. And and now the energy debate's over. Like, we, we must become energy independent. 
Yes. Not not only because it's smart economics, because it's important geopolitically. Like, you know, yeah. we, we need good people like yourself leading the way on, on stuff like that. No more importing 800,000 barrels a day from the Russians. Like, no more relying on the Middle East. It's crazy. A, a year and a half ago, we were net energy exporters here in the United States. It's 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 for public safety. It's important that we get back there. I think. You know, if we have good people willing to actually put their foot down and, and put forth some legislation and stop the Biden agenda, we can make some major gains in the coming years. Um, I mean, imagine being a, a Democrat and opposing energy independence after what we're seeing in Europe right now. I mean, look, look at what the, Ger- the yeah, Germans exactly. the Germans have twisted themselves into pretzels and the the Spaniards and the Italians. And it's it's absolutely shameful what's going on over there. And, you know. If we, that's why we, the party cannot be run by the, the Kevin McCarthy's of the world. The, the Jamie Butler's can't be writing policy. These people are not tough enough. They're not. They just don't have the balls to, to put forth the le- legislation we need. Um, and even on something specific like like energy policy, it's crucial to our, our national defense that we become energy independent. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, mean, I think a lot of the um, America first type of ideas in the, the pre-Trump era they just weren't taken seriously. You know, you, you right. had the great, you know, Pat Buchanan's, you had the, the, uh, the Ron Paul's out there kind of just yelling, yelling into the void and people, you know, I, it spoke to me cause I was, you know, in the middle East, I, I was a Bush supporter, but, uh, and I was like, man, these guys are actually right, but they didn't gain any traction. And then somehow Trump, he broke through and he won the election and the country actually was on a great trajectory. There was a lot of hard fights. He was betrayed multiple times. Um, but even despite all of that, he got us, like you said, we weren't just energy independent. We were a net exporter of energy. When Trump was talking about like, hey, bringing back manufacturing, there was all the people rolling the eyes. Like, what is this guy even talking about? Is he just trying to get working class votes? Like, no, it's actually part of national security. I mean, just like you said, with the energy debates over, I sort of feel like the onshoring debate is over. Now it's sort of how do we do it? It's like, hey, we have bare shelves in America, guys. Like that, and, and everyone sees that you don't need a deep understanding of, of geopolitics. And then you explain to people like, hey, you know why employment here sucks? Because we shipped all those jobs across the ocean and now we can't even get the stuff from across the ocean. Like how silly is this? And, I, and so I, I think um, a lot of people are seeing that and waking up. And we have real data to prove like this is actually a good thing for the American people. We saw working class wages rise between 2017 and 2020. And this is what all the smart experts in the room, the Obamas who speak so sophisticated you know, in such a sophisticated manner, they said, like, well, those jobs are gone. They're never coming back. You just have to learn to code or something like that. It's going to be very <laughs> condescending, which at the time really made a lot of people mad and for good reason. But that was kind of like what people in the Beltway just thought, like, you can't just make these jobs come back. Like, what are you talking about? about and now you see that if you don't make these jobs come back the country is actually in danger yeah. you know so I, I think we have a lot we should be very confident like the the neoconservative the uniparty establishment corporate talking points like those have done nothing but fail and so when it comes time to actually have like policy debates of people like bring it on because the data is on our side yeah that yeah that's 100 percent correct and thanks for coming on joe uh you you have my full endorsement um, and Thank you. Godspeed on the campaign trail. Um, let's let's do it again maybe in the summer, and we'll check back in with you in the campaign yeah. and see how you're doing. Where can everybody uh, uh, check out your website, get involved, donate? Uh, where can people volunteer definitely. and learn more? Yeah, definitely. JoeKentForCongress.com is the place for all that. There's a link tree to all my social media on there. And if people feel like helping out, any kind of donation really helps. Again, not getting any corporate PAC money, going against the, uh, the GOP establishment and the far left. So JoeKentForCongress.com. Everybody check out the site. Everybody follow Joe. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.